You're listening to the N2K Space Network. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. You could cut the tension with a knife in the mission control room at Japan's iSpace today as the company eagerly awaited confirmation of the Hakuto-R's lunar landing. The live feed cut to ads while they looked for a sign of successful touchdown, leaving viewers on the edge of their seats, waiting for word, any word, that they'd heard from the spacecraft. Unfortunately, iSpace lost communication with their vehicle, and as of the time of this recording anyway, it is assumed that the mission was not successful. We're not kidding when we say space is hard. T minus 20 seconds to Today is April 25th, 2023. I'm Maria Varmazis, and this is T minus. Hard landing for the Hakuto-R. U.S.-South Korea in space agreement. More announcements from China's space conference. A collection of SpaceX news. And some price outs for space debris removal. And my conversation with Severin Blankush, managing partner of the Space Advisory Group, all about how to do business with the government. You don't want to miss it, so stay tuned. Now, on to our Intel briefing for the day. It's not the news anyone was hoping for. The highly anticipated landing of the first private craft on the lunar surface with the Hakuto-R mission of Japan's iSpace did not go as planned. After the Hakuto-R's landing attempt, engineering teams here on Earth have not been able to make contact with the craft again. Takeshi Hakamada, iSpace's CEO, had to give the unfortunate news we have to assume that we could not complete the landing on the lunar surface. NASA and South Korea's science agency are signing an agreement to boost the U.S. and South Korea's cooperation in outer space. The agreement affirms the country's aim to work together on several areas, such as space communications, space-based navigation, and research on the moon. South Korea has been developing its own space and launch capabilities while aligning itself closer to U.S. space efforts— 
Seoul signed the Artemis Accords, a U.S.-led bilateral pact charting norms of behavior in space and on the moon's surface, and last year launched its Korea Pathfinder Lunar Orbiter aboard a SpaceX rocket to conduct science observations in the moon's orbit. China's National Space Administration has said that future Chang'e missions will include exploring long-term human habitation on the moon. China Daily reports that the country's space agency is exploring 3D printing technology to build structures on the lunar surface. Previous missions have already studied regolith laying the foundation for lunar soil bricks. China plans to launch humans to the moon by 2030. And staying in China, the country says its Mars rover Zhurong has failed to wake up from a planned hibernation during the Red Planet's winter. State media reports that a larger-than-expected buildup of dust has likely hampered the solar-powered rover's ability to generate electricity. It's likely that the vehicle will not be able to generate enough power to wake up from its slumber and that the rover will remain inactive forever. This brings a whole new meaning to rest in power. And SpaceX has delayed its 27th launch this year. Yep, they have held 26 launches in the last 115 days. We'll bring you details of the rescheduled launch to loft 46 new Starlink satellites into orbit when it's announced. And what do SpaceX delays mean to the overall aerospace industry? Well, NASA says they could have a knock-on effect on astronaut missions. An April 18th launch of commercial satellites on a Falcon Heavy was pushed until April 26th, and that could then upend the schedule of the Axiom mission to the ISS that was planned for early May. SpaceX has not disclosed the reason for the delay, but we will share more about the launch when it happens. And for some positive news from Musk's empire, Astrobotic has selected SpaceX's Falcon Heavy rocket in a competitive commercial procurement to launch its Griffin lunar lander in late 2023. Griffin will be carrying NASA's Water Hunting Volatiles Investigating Polar Exploration Rover, better known as Viper. One man's trash is another man's treasure. At least that's what one space startup is hoping for. Cal Morris Incorporated is working to prove its technology to retrieve space junk. The Michigan-based company cleverly advertised their costing on a deck of cards handed out at the Space Symposium in Colorado Springs last week. Each card showed a U.S.-owned space object listing with its mass, launch date, and North American Aerospace Defense Command catalog number, along with the estimated cost for retrieval. KMI's testing has so far been ground-based through funding from the Space Force's Orbital Prime Program, but they plan to conduct ISS demonstrations in 2024. And speaking of space junk, a report by the Government Accountability Office, or GAO, warns that Space Force is not fully taking advantage of the commercial sector to track and analyze space debris and satellites. The GAO details that most of the DOD's ground-based radars can only track objects larger than 10 centimeters in diameter in low Earth orbit, or LEO, while some commercial sensors can track objects as small as 2 centimeters in diameter. Space Force requested funding to buy commercial data in its budget for the first time in fiscal years 2022 and 2023. About $20 million was budgeted in 2023 for Commercial Space Situational Awareness, or SSA, data purchases, and a total of about $110 million for fiscal years 2023 through 2027. And continuing with object tracking in space, French space agency CNES has announced a consortium 
led by Ariane Group, to improve SSA capabilities. UTELSAT and Magellium make up the other organizations involved in the project. Arian Group will provide space surveillance services from its network of 15 ground telescopes, and UTELSAT will operate a new space sensor to connect the system. The project is part of the France 2030 National Investment Plan. Luxembourg has provided a space activity license for OQ technology, making it one of the first space companies in Luxembourg to receive this authorization under the country's new legal framework. This license authorization will allow OQ technology to provide its Internet of Things, or IoT, and machine-to-machine connectivity services, in addition to its existing license for the satellites already in orbit. NASA's Science Mission Directorate has launched an Entrepreneur's Challenge to source ideas to develop and commercialize state-of-the-art technology and data usage that advances lunar exploration and climate science. The challenge launched on April 10th and will run until November 29th with a total prize win of $1 million. Winners will be invited to a live pitch event hosted at the Defense Tech Connect Innovation Summit and Expo in late November. And in the same month that we've marked 50 years since Martin Cooper made the first public call from a cell phone, AST, Space Mobile, and AT&T have announced the first two-way call using satellites and a standard smartphone. The call was made using AT&T's networks in Midland, Texas, to mobile carrier Rakuten in Japan, using AST Space Mobile's Blue Walker 3 satellite. The use of satellites could be a significant step towards increasing cellular access in rural communities in the U.S. and across developing countries. Typically, a mobile phone call requires nearby cell towers to provide service, but with this development, satellites could provide a space-based network of cell towers. AST Space Mobile says it will provide global cellular broadband from space, transforming the way the world connects. And that's our briefing for today. Hey, T-Minus crew, our audience is growing rapidly, and that's a big thanks to you. So if you're just joining us, be sure to follow T-Minus Space Daily in your favorite podcast app. And also, do us a favor. Please share your favorite episodes on social media. It helps professionals like you find the show and join the crew. You can find our social media profiles in the show notes and at space.n2k.com. Up next is my interview with Severin Blankush about doing business with the government and military space acquisitions. Stay with us. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. When you're building space systems, there's a good chance you're working with the military. The military space acquisition process, though, is not always the easiest thing to understand if you're not already familiar with it. And so it helps a lot to have a guide to walk you through it. And that's who I'm speaking with today. 
Hi, good morning, everybody. My name is Severin Blankish. Uh, I'm a 27-year Air Force veteran. I was in contracting and acquisition the entire time. I uh, retired in 2018, and I did a brief stint at the Federal Reserve Bank in St. Louis, and then went to work as a support contractor at the Space Rapid Capabilities Office at Kirtland Air Force Base in New Mexico. There, I assisted the first round of programs in going through acquisition strategies and getting those uh, on contract, and then participated in a lot of the business intel and market research that that office did. And while there, got really involved with the startup and innovation community in the space arena. And so for about the last year and a half, uh, Andrew Bossert and I have been uh, the, the co-founders of Space Advisory Group, a uh, boutique advisory firm that specializes in primarily small and startup companies in the space ecosphere. We help them understand how to do business with the government, and that involves a lot of things, going through the sitter process, uh, as well as putting the message together, establishing a, a good use case, and then putting that into a package that the government can understand. And thank you so much for joining me today. When you have a, a new client onboarding, what are some common challenges that you see them encountering? So a lot of the clients, they are very excited about the amount of money that the Space Force is investing into research and development. So that is put forth through the, the SBIR and the STTR programs, the Small Business Innovation Research uh, programs, uh, and primarily run through SpaceWorks, is who administers that program uh, on behalf of the Space Force. So the, the companies are very excited to, to get a, a contract, and they're even more excited about the prospect of of that R&D contract leading into you know, what what's folks sometimes call a real contract or a, a program of record. And what, what most companies don't understand is that that leap or that transition from the R&D contract into a, you know, a, an actual contract. And the, most of that misunderstanding centers around the, the budgeting process that the Department of the Air Force, which includes the Space Force, has to go through to actually fund uh, a program. Could you go into a little detail about that? Because wh what does that mean exactly? Yeah, so the after your super contract is over, everyone's familiar with the, the term, the valley of death. So when, you're, when your R&D funds run out, then you are hopeful to get a, a real contract to replace those R&D funds. And the, the real contracts go through a budgeting process that requires having a requirement approved, and then funds assigned to that. And this is generally a two- to three-year process within the DOD as a whole. So uh, that's not an amount of time that most companies are prepared to wait for either that perfect requirement to come their way. Uh, there's, there's a couple of other avenues. Uh, sometimes there's, there's fallout funds, and uh, I'm, hopefully I'm using some terms that a handful of folks will, will recognize, but they're there, 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 there is a little bit of leeway for for leadership to to uh, reallocate some funds. Uh, but that's those opportunities are few and far between, and it, it really involves a lot of maneuvering on the government's part. Hmm. So, I mean, seems like a, just awareness of this pitfall sort of is, is half the battle there, but. I mean, is there anything that, you know, if say I'm a, a small space startup and, I, you know, I'm really excited, I've got this funding and I'm really jazzed about my technology, but 
I'm staring down that valley of death. Like you mentioned that there are some avenues, but maybe not a whole lot. I mean, is there anything you can do to 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 try and avoid and pivot out of there? Or? No, uh, a, a lot of it involves in the the amount of outreach that the company is willing to do uh, to members of the space force. So, I mean, to start with, your 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 small company has to have a solution that's actually solving a problem. So, you know, there are a lot of good ideas out there, and you know, not every good idea actually has a problem that the the space force is prepared to put money against. So. Understanding whose problem, what problem, and then approaching that that particular office or organization with your solution is is a really good way to get you know awareness. Uh, and sometimes with awareness comes an, an ability for for funds to accompany. But you, you you definitely have to be addressing somebody's problem. That makes a lot of sense, and certainly, uh, even if you're working, I would imagine pitching to the private sector. It's sort of similar ideas apply. You got to be solving a problem that m- resonates with the market you're trying to sell to. So, oh yeah, customer discovery. Yep. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna switch gears for a second, and and I'm, I want to pick up on something that we talked about right before we started the interview. D two P two. What is that? Can you walk me through that? Sure. The the direct to phase two, and and. Uh, so this morning, the uh, Air Force released this round of their, their open topic direct to phase two. So the open topic meaning that any, any good idea is, is allowed to apply versus a specific topic where the Air Force or the Space Force or any DOD component has ID'd a specific problem and they want an answer to that. So open topic, uh, any, any good idea is eligible to apply. The, the direct to phase two uh, gives the uh, proposer an opportunity to either take credit for an already performed phase one effort that is uh, similar in scope to what they are proposing in the phase two, or have already completed a some type of work that would amount to uh, progress that would be made during a phase one. So the phase, the phase twos are a little bit farther beyond, hey, I've got a great idea. Let me find somebody who might have uh, a problem that I can solve with this good idea to moving more into, hey, I've, I've identified some folks that have a problem and I'm going to mature my idea into, you know, say, maybe a, a, a prototype. Uh, but in space, for the amount of money on a, a D2P2, prototypes are not uh, realistic. But you know, if he has some solid designs, or a good con-ops on how your technology is going to help uh, solve that problem, that, that's a good avenue for a, a direct-to-phase two open topic. Cool. So say you apply. I, I don't know if that's the right word, but you, you sign up, apply for D2P2. What, what happens next? So the long pole in the, the open topic direct-to-phase two is to find a government customer or end user and uh, the end user is the organization that that actually is going to uh, be able to take advantage of of that good idea uh, capability. The customer is the acquisition organization who has the ability to put stuff on contract and has a budget to do so. So the customer can be uh, one and the same with the end user, but the end user generally requires somebody with money to. Uh, to sign these these memorandums, but the memorandums indicate an interest on the part of the government to to uh, go forward with 
following the work that would be done during performance of that phase two. Okay. Um, so given the timeliness of DTP2, I just love saying that, I'm sorry. Uh, given the timeliness <laughs> of that, uh, if, if you are interested, maybe maybe you missed the boat or you want to apply in this phase, uh, what, what's your advice to people in this situation who are interested and want to move forward on that? So you can go to the, uh, the DSIP website, DSIP, just uh, type that into your browser, it'll, it'll pop up. And they will give you the schedule of upcoming uh, SBIR, STTR opportunities. So the general cadence is in the, the early January, February timeframe, you've got the phase ones. Then in the April, May timeframe, you've got a round of phase twos. And then in the uh, August ish timeframe, you've got another round of phase ones. And then October, November, you've got another round of phase two. So basically four periods throughout the year where they alternate phase ones and phase twos is the, you know, the rough schedule for companies that are interested in, in pursuing these opportunities. Before we close out, any general advice that you give to companies that are looking to work with uh, government procurement? Yeah, understand what the customer's problem is understand which customer you're going to talk to and then have a path forward for how your technology is going to solve that problem. A rough idea of how much it might cost and then how long it might take for, for that to become a real capability that they can, can procure. Excellent. Thank you so much for walking us through this. I really appreciate your time and expertise today. Great. Thank you, Maria. We'll be right back. And now a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust Plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero-trust-ai. And welcome back. While the news from Hakuto R's mission today was not what folks at iSpace were hoping for, there was still a lot that they gained. Valuable data pretty much right up until the landing attempt was one of them. And photographs are another. There are some fantastic shots of the moon's surface from the Hakuto R as it swept over the lunar surface while in orbit. And one of my favorite photographs today was an image actually from April 20th, looking back at Earth over the moon's surface, during the hybrid solar eclipse that swept over parts of Western Australia and Indonesia. It's not the first image of an eclipse from space, but there aren't that many. So they're always worth seeing, in my opinion. And in this one, you can see our beautiful blue planet with the moon's shadow casting an inky dot right over Australia's northern coast. It all looks so tiny from up there. Thank you for the great photo, Hakuto R.
And that's it for T-minus for April 25th, 2023. For additional resources from today's report, check out our show notes at space.n2k.com. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like T-Minus are part of the daily routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector, from the Fortune 500 to many of the world's preeminent intelligent and law enforcement agencies. This episode was produced by Alice Carruth, mixing by Elliot Peltzman and Trey Hester, with original music and sound design by Elliot Peltzman. Our executive producer is Brandon Karpf, and I'm Maria Varmazes. Thanks for listening.